0: And you will see in verse 6 the reason for the dangers. It says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness. Now, is that a soul that's ripe for picking? No, that's a soul that's hardened. They will not repent. And you need to know tonight that repentance is an essential aspect of salvation. Now, repentance is not merit. It does not buy you brownie points for heaven because you feel so sorrowful or you weep through tears. Uh, Repentance is not meritorious. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, and again today we're dealing with Jeremiah 8.22. The summer has ended, the harvest is past, and we are not saved. Our mind goes to the many in our nation who have passed through the drug overdoses and opioid epidemic that we have. We think of the sorrow that this has brought to families, the misery of it all uh, that leads people to such suicide and death. We can only cry to God that he will send the hope of the gospel into the hearts of men and women. Would you join with me in prayer as we call on the Lord to do a miracle of grace in the hearts of Canadians, that they may be led to hope in Christ. Father, we come unto thee in the name of our Lord Jesus, and we cry out unto thee for help and your blessing in these days. We pray that your word, that your saving grace may reach the hearts of men who know not where to turn, and they turn to death. What tragedy! And surely the king of darkness is, is the king of death, and we cry out to thee that you will deliver men from these dreadful ways. We ask that you will give power to your word to turn hearts to yourself, and hear the prayers of parents and of this nation that you may deliver us. O oh God, send us an awakening and deliverance, we pray, we ask in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. As this is Reformation Week, we are now turning to our Luther lesson. May the Lord speak to your heart, and may we learn to know Christ. That was the key to Martin Luther's stand for the gospel. Luther wrote to one of his former brethren in the convent of Erfurt, the monk, George Spenlein, O oh, my dear brother, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing unto him a new song, to despair of yourself and to say to him, Thou, Lord Jesus Christ, art my righteousness, and I am thy sin. Thou hast taken what was mine and hast given me what was thine. What thou wast not, thou didst become in order that I might become what I was not. Beware, my dear George, <clears throat> of pretending such purity as no longer to confess yourself a sinner. For Christ dwells only with sinners. He came down from heaven, where he was living among the righteous, in order to live also among sinners. Meditate carefully upon his this love of Christ, and you will taste all its unspeakable consolation. If our labors and afflictions could give peace to the conscience, why should Christ have died? You will not find peace save in him. By despairing of yourself and of your works, and in learning with what love he opens his arms to you, taking all your sins upon himself, and giving thee all his righteousness. The hour drew nigh in which the Reformation was to burst forth. God hastened to prepare the instrument that he had determined to employ. The Elector, having built a new church at Wittenberg, to which he gave the name All Saints, sent Staupitz in the Low Countries to collect relics for the ornament of the new office. The Vicar-General commissioned Luther to replace him during his absence, and in particular, to make a visitation of the forty Monasteries of Misnia and Thuringia. There is no doubt that much good seed was sown in the different Augustinian convents during this journey of the Reformer. The monastic orders, which had long been the support of Rome, did perhaps more for the Reformation than against it. This is true in particular of the Augustinians. Almost all the pious men of liberal and elevated mind who were living in the cloisters turned toward the Gospel and knew and generous blood ere long circulated through these orders which were, so to speak, the arteries on the German church. As yet, nothing was known in the world of the new ideas of the Wittenberg-Augustinian, while they were already the chief topic of conversation in the chapters and monasteries. Many a cloister thus became a nursery of reformers. As soon as the great struggle took place, pious and able men issued from their obscurity and abandoned the seclusion of a monastic life for the active career of ministers of God's Word. At the period of this inspection of 1516, Luther awakened many drowsing souls by his words. He hence this year has been named the Morning Star of the Gospel Day. listening to let the bible speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and we're moving now to our pulpit message from Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. The summer is ended, the harvest is past, and we are not saved. This is a message of hope to any who fall into despair. May the Lord lead you to faith in our Lord Jesus through his word today. You've had days of opportunity when others preached the gospel to you. I'm sure I'm not the first gospel preacher that you've heard. I'm not the first person who ever challenged you that you need to be saved, that you need to be converted, and you need to be cleansed from your sins. You have had the witness of the gospel many times, and you know the very account of the gospel itself you also know that Christ died on the cross. You're not even like that Muslim that I spoke of tonight. You know the facts. You know it's a true history that a man called Jesus, who was born miraculously of Mary's womb, lived 33 years, and at Calvary in A.D. 33, died on a Roman cross. And he died at the cruel hands of men, but he also died under the punishment of God, and the weight of sin fell upon the Lord Jesus, and his sufferings was in the place of sinners. I'm not the first to tell you that. You've heard it over and over, but still tonight you're not saved. You have spurned the privileges and the opportunities, but still there is salvation for you. When Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus by night, he was a religious leader, and he had been convinced that Jesus was a man called by God. But he wasn't saved, and the Lord did not drive him away. He did not say, you're just a hypocrite. He didn't say, you're a a lost soul without hope. There's no hope for you. And he didn't send him into despair, but rather he told him he needed a new heart. He needed to be born again. And praise God, he was. He was. There's another man called Felix. Felix knew the facts of the gospel. That rhymes, doesn't it? Felix knew the facts. But he played the fool. And there's a text I'm going to read to you. It says, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come, I will know the uttermost of your matter." What did he do? He just put it off. He shirked his responsibilities. And that's probably the easiest thing that people try to do. They don't say, Well, I'll never be a Christian. I don't ever to be saved. They just put it off. And Felix had the facts in his head, but he never had the Savior in his heart. And maybe, just maybe tonight, I'm preaching to one who's just like Felix. You've got the facts. You are privileged with the knowledge of the gospel, of the way of salvation, and what the Lord has done for souls, but you have never been saved. Will tonight come? This is your opportunity. Now, the scene of the harvesters, I want to move. We talked there about the summer, the gentle breezes, the heat. The sunshine, the gentle rain. But the harvest scene, and of course, in Bible times, they didn't have combines and a lot of machinery in the field, but they had the workers, the laborers, and they would have come with their sickle to cut down the grain and gathered in the sheaves with a lot of manual labor. And so the fields would be filled with noise, filled with talking and working and gathering in. And row after row, the workers take their sheaves, or from the vines they fill their baskets. And day after day with labor, the barns are filled, but the fields are emptied. And of course, those few stalks that may be hidden in the corner, or those grapes that are hanging on the vines somewhere lurking in a hidden place, they're left behind. And if I understand this text, this passage tonight, that's a description of the soul that has heard the gospel but gets left behind, and they are without a Savior. Now, that brings me to two things tonight, and I'm trying to draw from the picture of the grain. And if I know farming and if I know grain, especially barley, the head has to hang. And the grape has to firm, change color, and almost scream at you, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm ready for picking. Have you done that? You're in the field. You are in this world, but you're hiding. You're not really crying out, pick me. Now, how do you do that? Well, the Bible tells us that the first thing that you need to do is to repent. Repentance is the first evidence that you are ready to be harvested, ready to be saved. In verse 6, now I take this out of the passage, and I'll tell you what I'm doing here. I'm sticking to the scene of the text, verse 20, but the scene of the text is addressing historical realities in the days of Jeremiah and the dangers that were coming upon this people. And you will see in verse 6 the reason for the dangers. It says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness. Now, is that a soul that's ripe for picking? No, that's a soul that's hardened. They will not repent. And you need to know tonight that repentance is an essential aspect of salvation. Now, repentance is not merit. It does not buy you brownie points for heaven because you feel so sorrowful or you weep through tears. Uh, Repentance is not meritorious, but repentance is imperative. Think of the preaching of John the Baptist. When he, that day, when he introduced the Lord Jesus, he said, "'Bring forth, therefore, fruits.'" Meat for repentance. Now, the word there, meat for repentance, simply means fitting, becoming repentance. And so I need to talk to you tonight what repentance will look like in your life if you are truly a repentant sinner. Repentance was the conclusion of the parable of the lost sheep. The Lord Jesus said in that parable, and He was dealing with repentance in the, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. Luke 15. And he said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And so repentance must look like something, and it has been well summed up in this way. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. And so tonight, if you're clinging to your sins, and I'm taking the picture now of the fruit hanging to the vine, and if you're clinging to your sins, it's like that fruit clinging to the vine, and it's crying, leave me alone. I don't want to be picked. I don't want to be taken into the barn. That is like your soul if you do not repent of sin and turn from it. Repentance always includes a holy hatred of sin, and it manifests itself very clearly. It is not, as a Puritan called it, a scarecrow religion. Now, you know what a scarecrow is. The farmer, he takes that frame of wood and he puts a, an old coat on it and a hat and uh, tries to depict a man standing out in the grain field so that the birds don't come and eat the grain. And when you are repenting, it's not a pretense. There's got to be genuine sorrow in your heart that you want to be delivered from the curse and the consequences, but also from the canker of sin in your own heart. And repentance is vital to forgiveness. Now, you are given opportunity to repent, to turn away from sin. You've been given many warnings, many advice advisements, this is wrong. This will hurt you. This will destroy your soul. But those opportunities are lost. You have not claimed them, but rather you're still clinging to your sins. Another opportunity, and again, I'm trying to draw from the picture of the harvest field, is to believe on the Lord Jesus. It's the exercise of faith. And it's like these workers in the harvest picking the ripe fruit. Faith is the evidence of a heart ready for picking. Without faith, you can't be saved. You're still worldly, fleshly-minded, and it's impossible to please God without faith. There's a verse for that, Hebrews 11:6. It is impossible to please God without faith. So you Every day that you doubt the gospel, every day that you say no to salvation, hardening your heart, you are losing the opportunities of being harvested and brought into God's salvation. Now, you might ask me tonight, well, what is faith? What am I to believe, and how do I believe? Well, simply put, I would say to you this. Believe everything that's in this book about God's Son that will be your faith. That will be the basis of your faith. That will be the rock of your faith, and it will never change. You take God at his word. There's a great illustration of, of faith when Simon uh, was told after toiling all night, he had caught nothing. You remember how they fished all night, and the Lord said that they were to put down uh, the net on the right side of the, of the ship and Simon complained, Lord, we've, we've toiled all night. We've, we've done all this. And then he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That's faith. It was contrary to his own experience, but it was the Lord's word to him. And the Lord's word to you tonight is believe on God's Son as your Savior and salvation. Saving faith, what is it? Forsaking all, I trust him. And every time you refuse to do that, you are like standing in the field, the harvesters are doing their work, and you are being passed by because you will not believe. Now, how can we take this now biblically? What was Jeremiah really saying to these people? You've missed your privileges, you've missed so many opportunities, what were they to believe on? Well, I'm so thankful for the next verse, verse 22. The question is, in verse 22, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Now, Gilead was the area to the east of Galilee, starting in Galilee, going eastward. That was the land of Gilead. And there was this particular balsam that was produced in that area that was traded and desired, and it was for health purposes. And this land of Gilead was well known for producing balm, anointment that had healing power. And we have hymns uh, that uh, address this. In the only hymns, there's a hymn, there is a balm in Gilead, to make the wounded whole. There's power enough in heaven to cure a sin-sick soul. I lost my own my own condition till Jesus made me whole. There is but one physician can cure a sin-sick soul. And so, as a preacher of the cross tonight, what are you to believe in? In the death the bloodshedding, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. He is the great physician of your soul. He is the one who heals the ills of sin. He cures you from the guilt of it, but he also cures you from the cancer of it. So that that compulsion to sin, that desire to sin, he breaks by the power of the gospel. Now you cannot do that alone. You cannot quit your sin alone. You cannot conquer sin alone. You cannot get the victory over sin in your life, and you cannot wash away your sin's debt and guilt. You are lost. You are, as the text says, not saved. And by faith, you can be saved by looking to the great physician, to the one who is referred to here as the balm of of Gilead. And maybe tonight, God has to firstly empty you of self before he brings you to himself. He has to drive you to your knees before he brings you to assurance of salvation. And if you come to the point where you confess, I'm not saved, then through repentance and faith, look to Jesus look to the cross, and be saved by the power of the blood. Now, we're going to close on these final few words, we are not saved. Privileges were lost. Opportunities were lost. Now the reality is your soul is lost. We are not saved. And that has to be the cry of this people who are despairing. And the allusion must be to the storms of life. The fruit that's not harvested, the fruit that's not brought into the barn, it's left to perish. And when the storms come, the fruit is lost. What do you have tonight to stand against the storms of life? Illness, death, judgment, eternity. All of those things are the great storms that are going to blast these souls of ours. And remember that our lives like fruit or grain, has just got one short existence. The Bible teaches us about death and eternity that man's existence and life is like a straight line. And the text that is very clear in the Bible that says there is appointed unto man wants to die after this the judgment. And it's like a straight line. You go straight through this world, you die, and then you are facing the judgment. That's it. Now, Hinduism and some of the false religions of this world, they refer to life as a cycle reincarnation. And that you go through this life once and then you return in another phase. And it depends on your karma and your achievements in this life, what you're going to return to accomplish in the next life. And they keep referring to life as a cycle, a cycle, a cycle. The Bible says, no, it's a straight line. And just like the leaf falling from the tree, when it hits the ground, it's over. It will never be back on that tree again, will never blossom again. And the Bible tells us, as the tree falls, so shall it lie. And this, therefore, has to be the honest statement that must come from your heart. I'm put on this world for a short time. Life may be running out. I need to be saved. I need to be prepared for eternity. I need to be sure of heaven. And that's why, like Jeremiah, we weep. Over perishing souls. That's why parents literally cry to God for their children to be saved. Because if they do not know Christ in this life, they are lost, lost, lost for eternity. And I want to call you tonight, not send you into despair. I want you to bring you out of that unsaved condition to repent. And believe the gospel. And if you do so, you will be received. You will be gathered in. Yes, the Lord will, in mercy, save your soul. What are you to do? Well, don't despair. Don't listen to the death clang of this text. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. But rather listen to the gospel invitation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and there is salvation to those who repent. And I'll close with these five words. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's the difference. Just put those five letters over the text. It brings you out of despair into everlasting hope. Forsaking all, I trust him. Will you do it? If you're not saved tonight, I call you, I plead with you to come to the Savior and trust in Him. If I can help you tonight, I gladly will. May the Lord in grace continue to work and speak to your heart.